Hi, welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories from the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. I'm Wesley Oberg. I'm a DevOps design lead here and first time uh, caller, long time listener. Hi, I'm Chris Hobson, senior software developer with a focus on uh, front end JavaScript. Hi, I'm Bruno Rizzo. I'm senior developer here at Spirit. Hey, I'm Karim Jamal, talent dev lead and senior architect. Today, we're talking about refactoring what it is, why it's important, when it may or may not be appropriate, and some lessons learned and useful tips. Let's get started. So for the uninitiated, what exactly is refactoring? Technically to me, refactoring is changing code in a significant way which doesn't necessarily have a, an actual change in the functionality for the user, but it's the things you would do behind the scenes in the code, like under the hood and such, mainly to get it to be better code, better organized, cleaner, easier to update or maintain in the future, things like that. Well, and, and refactoring goes hand in hand often with what I've heard called technical debt, correct? Like where you're building up stuff that you put together quickly and you know it's not very good and it's kind of held together with duct tape and uh, gum, but you know you have to go back and fix it later. Is, is, is that correct that they're kind of related? I think so, yeah. I think that technical depth is the main, main reason why you want to refactor a piece of code that is really working. And the problem with the refactoring is that when the code is working, people is hesitant to change it because you don't know exactly what is going to happen. Um, at least you, you are really diligent with the tests and, uh, and the problem that the code solves is not that complicated. I mean, I'm, I'm, me as a, as a developer, I don't want you to fix the same thing twice or many times. So if something is, is not broken, don't fix it, basically. Um, but yeah, technical debt, I believe, is the, the main reason why you want to refactor a piece of code. Um, for example, if you are trying to build something more complex out of something of a small piece of code that is not really great, you probably want to refactor that small piece of code to make it more extensible, for example. But I think it's always, it's always a risk on, on changing things that are more or less working. So you need to be careful when you're refactoring something. Yeah, refactoring, it, it is a lot of the time uh, coming from a place of, of tech debt. But uh, something that I see a lot in, especially agile teams, is that refactoring is just part of getting a new feature in because you have to pass a new flag through or you know, you're supporting a new functionality and, and that requires updating on these interfaces. And that's just, that's just part of the work to you know, get that function in, in a live code base where you're continually merging the master and continually deploying and you don't want to break everything. Sometimes you've reached the bounds of what uh, your current system can do, like the choices you've mm -hmm. made, uh, they can only do so much. And maybe it's time that if you want to go beyond that, you sort of have to back up a little and do the refactoring in order to be able to scale, whether it's horizontal or vertical, right? So like performance or be able to service more clients or users at the same time uh, to get around those uh, limits that you're hitting. Um, Sometimes it's you put stuff in uh, and, you know, have duct tape and hacks in place. By the way, for the record, duct tape is awesome. Probably the most versatile <laughs> tape there is. 
So maybe masking tape is a, you know, a more suitable thing here <laughs> because duct tape can even like hold up a car, uh, you know, and like, <laughs> so I saw it on Mythbusters. Um, <laughs> but uh, sometimes it's just, uh, you know, the limit of productivity you can do, right? Maybe it's slowing down your development team um, because you have to take five steps instead of the two or three you'd need to take after a refactoring. So there, there's multiple limits uh, that you may hit that may force a refactoring um, that then you have to uh, think about and weigh the, the pros and cons of if it's worth doing now or later or keep paying the cost for a little bit more uh, before you make the decision. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's a hard sell too, right? Like refactoring for pure tech debt or refactoring just for the sake of having cleaner code. So it it's more often prompted by the necessity to do it. But, you know, I think to do things, do, to do things right, you almost have to build it into the system, like building the notion of tech debt or paying down tech debt, like as part of your scenario, like when you're actually scoping stories or whatever, like when you're actually doing planning, build some of it into every piece of work you're doing, sort of clean as you go type of thing. I think that's the best way to, to handle this, like make refactory part of your everyday life almost, you know? I'd argue that tech debt is probably the one of the hardest, if not the hardest sell to make, right? As, as Chris said, it's especially if you're a services company, like, like, you know, consulting like we do, where you tell the user, hey, I'm going to spend a few weeks working and changing stuff. Uh, and what change will I see in the UI? Well, absolutely nothing. Your page might load up, you know, uh, 15 milliseconds faster, which is good. But for, you know, spending three weeks of cost and time on it, eh, right. But for us, we know how difficult it is. And so you have to sort of come into it with uh, bringing and making the case for it because, hey, we can develop twice as fast. We can do so-and-so, uh, whatever. Well, yeah. And in some ways it ties back into like estimation saying, well, this putting this new feature in will take this amount of time. Yes, but if we refactor, you'll add that much on the front end, but doing multiple features like this in the future after we refactor will make things go much more quickly. So like there's an estimation element of it too, where you can kind of show your work and say, yeah, it may not seem like it in the short term, but knowing that we're gonna have to do things like this again and again and again, kind of simplifying those repeating processes I think is one way you can kind of help communicate the, the benefit. And, and the hesitation from the client or the user side is well-founded uh, because I will tell you as a dev, all devs want to refactor all the time, right? Because there's always <laughs> a better way to do it. You can build something last week and now you see a new library or some a better way to do it and you want to go back and refactor. Mm -hmm. Or right. as is the common case, uh, you take over from a different dev. And of course, everything they did was wrong. So you have to refactor everything now and build it. And so that's why there's a hesitation where is it because so a developer just wants to do it or is it really necessary, right? Uh, and finding that balance. And that's why you have to sort of make the convincing argument and you know show your results. Well, and even knowing like there's probably a point where, yes, okay, say the customer is happy to, to put in the, the time and the money to, to refactor knowing when enough is enough because like you were saying there's mm -hmm. there's always stuff that could be better there's always things that could be cleaner or faster or more more efficient knowing where's the cutoff to say okay that's that gets us to where we need to be we could go farther but it's diminishing returns at that point 
you can always go further. You can always squeeze out two or three more milliseconds uh, <laughs> each time, but it's not yeah. worth it, as you said. Right. Yeah, that's a, a hard problem to, to avoid for me. I tend to, to go too deep on, on, on those, those kind of, of, of things. So uh, I was thinking on something that you said, uh, Chris, about planning around the technical depth. Um, and for me, that's, that's, that's a key differentiation between a senior developer, like a senior developer or architect know exactly how to navigate like the technical depth that you can take on the code base to move uh, faster, but not uh, compromise the, the whole thing. And that is kind of tied to, to um, what room you left for a factory. So if you are planning, okay, I will not go like, I, I will do this part of the feature, like a little duct tape it. So um, I can move faster to other things that I need to show or, or get to, to unblock other, other uh, people in the team. Uh, but I know that the fix for that is, is not that complicated or that I can fix that without raking everything else. So um, I think that that's a, a really complex problem. That, uh, so yeah, you need to, to think about that when, when you think about refactoring. Yeah, I like that. Like know where to put your real focus into and where you can kind of gloss over just for now. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's huge. And another thing to keep in mind, just like any other estimates we do, uh, the estimates we'll put in for refactoring are going to be off and it's likely going to take double that time too, mm -hmm. which, you know, just uh, increases the hesitation that people have. Cause it's like, oh, you told me this was going to take two weeks, but it has taken four weeks now, uh, you know? So I don't want to do refactoring again type thing. Yeah. And we have a podcast for an episode for estimation if you want to visit that too. Well, and even thinking about it, in that episode where we talked about estimation, I know one of the big takeaways we had was like, write everything down. So from the estimation side, it was, yeah, write it down so you have a record for later. But in, in refactoring, like in, you were saying, talking about like keeping track of technical debt, like having a record you can go back to and saying, yeah, these are all the things I know we need to go and fix later instead of like, eh, I don't know, it's in there somewhere. It could probably be faster. <laughs> like keeping on top of stuff to some extent so that you know where to focus and, and where to put your energy when you do have that opportunity to, to make things better. Yeah, I think we've kind of said in a couple of different ways that, that you need some, some focus and some intent when you go into this. Otherwise, it could spiral out of control and become a rewrite. Mm -hmm. Something very different and, and much more nebulous and scary. Uh, we've talked about tech debt and how to approach it, but maybe we can also talk about uh, how we end up in that situation in the first place, right? What things lead up to us having to do a refactor or have accumulated that much tech debt? Yeah, I, I mean, in the ideal world, you would never have to refactor because you just write code perfect the first time. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, there's certainly things you can do to stave off like, you know, clean code, readable code, um, building things right, modular, flexible, extensible, right? But you're going to have to eventually. But, you know, again, just common hygiene, like doing really good PRs on the team or re reviews, I mean, um, code and having standards between uh, developers and things like that. All these things can help, um, again, to, uh, to limit the amount of refactors that you'll end up having to do course huge is uh is testing you know it goes hand yeah. in hand with uh with refactoring is unit tests having those written um can give you confidence when refactoring as well so that's huge yeah that's kind of key right i'm not sure if i 
I'm not sure if I will refactor like a, an important piece of code without test. I probably start writing the test and then do the refactoring if yeah. they are not in place, um, because you never know what what's going what, what's going to break. And you should factor in that those tests as part of your estimation too. Uh, so sometimes you just end up in that situation organically, right? So when you started off, you were designing for a set number of users, right? We're going to have a hundred users or a thousand users in the system, and at that early stage when you're just getting going, trying to design a full enterprise solution that supports, you know, uh, 500,000 users a second type thing, this doesn't make sense. You would go under if you try to do that and mm -hmm. never succeed, right? And so sometimes it's just, that's part of the plan, right? You do this once you get to that limit where you need those hundreds of thousands of users uh, at any given time, then you have to do a refactoring to now change your architecture to be able to support uh, the increased scale. That's an interesting point. I feel like oftentimes refactoring can be thought of as like the result of something negative, like, oh, we didn't have enough time, we need to go back and refactor. Or, oh, something went wrong, we need to go refactor instead of a metric for success. Like, yeah, this product is working well, or we have more users than we expected, or things are growing and getting you know, we need to support the, the new features or new users who are coming in, that kind of a thing. And it, it can be a sign that things are going well and seen as like an investment in that growth instead of like, you know, oh no, we, we didn't do enough work on the back end. Okay, we need to go fix and clean up our mess kind of a thing. Yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment that it's not necessarily a bad thing to be talking about a refactor or even tech debt. It's, you know, BitRot is real. Uh, libraries, you know, become unmaintained. You will as long as you have software that you care about, you will be working on it and that will be refactoring. And that's, that's just the tune up of the car that is software. Yeah, good point. I mean, we should start a branding campaign like, hey, refactoring, sign of success. <laughs> uh, you know, like Milk did with the Got Milk billboard and stuff. Uh, just, yeah, it's, that's absolutely right. If, if we can say like, hey, this is you're doing well that's why you need to refactor and present that in, in that way and make the case for that that will help the you know the case and the other side accept and sort of be willing with you to say yeah now is the time to do it because we've been so successful yeah it's not it's not always that but uh, it can be that it's a sign that you're about to level up you're ready to level up but you have to you know go run that last mile to actually get there so I think it's, there's also an element we need to talk about, like there are times when refactoring is not appropriate or it's not, not a good idea, maybe in a specific point in time, or just like, it's not the right uh, focus at, you know, for a specific area, you may want to have the desire to refactor. So I don't know, I'm, cu I'm curious, talk, talk me kind of through when or how to know when refactoring is a good or a bad idea or when it's the right time. It's not a good idea a week before the deadline. <laughs> and it's not a good idea without any tests like if you can't verify the state you're transforming it into something else you can't verify and it's going to drift and it's not a good idea when you are presented a very legacy code base that's essentially built and done and the effort of refactoring would take longer or as long if not longer than building it from scratch like mm. throwing it out redoing the whole thing yeah I think that's why there are many systems still using legacy implementations, right? Um, 
I know of many banks that still use Fortran, for example, or COBOL, is because they are they don't they don't exactly know what's happening. Uh, so instead of changing whatever you have, it's it's safer to start building a new stuff and migrate operations one by one instead of changing anything of what the, the, the current code is doing because no one really knows what's what's behind those code base. So yeah, sometimes it's, it's not an option, basically. So there are ideal conditions under which uh, refactoring makes sense, but when you're outside of those conditions, there's a lot more risk than you might expect. Yeah, talk me through some of that. Because I, I was going to ask, like, there are obviously risks in place for if you don't have tests set up. But even if you like set everything up right and you know there's a need to refactor and there's budget for it and there's resources and all that, like, there's still risk there. Like, there are things that could go wrong or things that could balloon out of control, right? Yeah. It's hard to, sometimes it's hard to predict what's going to happen. Uh, even if you have tests um, or, or, or a certain amount of tests things can, can go off in weird ways sometimes. And the only thing that you can do is just plan for those situations and try to mitigate when, when that happened, basically, and, and uh, have a good plan to deploy the, the, the changes and, and, and measure the impact of, of what you are refactoring. It's not a, it, I, I don't think that it's a 100% safe way to do this. There are plans to mitigate it. Uh, for example, having tests is, is a must, I guess. But it, it will not cover all the cases that you, you, you will face. For example, you can test an installation with your piece of code, but you could put that on, on the real world, interacting with other, other stuff. You always have a, a, a room for, the, for something to go wrong that is not on your tests or on, on your ideas of what can happen. So I believe that the only thing that you can do is just plan around that, test your changes uh, carefully, and see if uh, that it plays well with the rest of the system, for example. Yeah, that's that's great, the rest of the system, because in my mind, the, the most brittle part or the most risky part are all the interfaces with everything else. And so like, if you're talking about, hey, we're upgrading to you know a new unified Cassandra driver and it's got a slightly different API in some cases, well, I hope you know those new APIs support everything you use, right? And so it's like if you if you know some of the components that you're trying to go towards with this refactor, do a spike real quick and see like, hey, does does you know do the patterns we normally use actually work with this new thing we're talking about refactoring towards? Speak like yeah. you've had that experience before. <laughs> Was that too specific? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a great idea. I like the idea of planning out the refactors. So looking at the whole thing, looking at the risks, de-risking, spiking things, making sure that the trouble spots are, you know, figured out kind of ahead of time before you even begin. And then there's two, like the notion of you have this giant thing you want to refactor, but can you break it into smaller pieces? Can you say, okay, we're just going to refactor this part. We're going to stabilize the code base and make sure it works and then move on later to the next parts, you know, chunk it into pieces. Defining the scope and sort of limiting yourself to that scope uh, is I think important and saying, every time you hear refactor, it's like, oh, this big thing, all development will stop uh, and we're changing out the core and stuff. No, you know, there can be some refactorings off to the side or maybe you're changing out this one side component uh, of it. You're not always changing the transmission of the car while it's driving, right? Sometimes you're just 
you know, fixing the rear view mirror or, you know, doing a paint job or something like that, right? And so those are enough to be called a refactoring, but it doesn't mean that it's, you know, everything uh, will break all of a sudden or uh, everything will stop. So it helps to define sort of the blast radius of the, the refactoring you're doing. Are you describing microservices? <laughs> I could apply to anything really, but yes. <laughs> So is something like this on, on the on the design world, Johnny? Like if you have, for, because the refactoring that we're talking about is kind of, of, of uh, transparent to the consumer, um, but in the, in the design, can you do that? It's interesting you mentioned that because that's something I was already kind of thinking about. And it, it's similar. It's, it's the kind of thing that doesn't directly affect the end user at all. But there are times where definitely like, you know, a good example is, leveraging things like repeatable components and symbol libraries, getting that kind of a thing established and built um, at the very beginning of a project is ideal because say there's a button style that I'm going to be using in 50 different areas, rebuilding that every time or copying an old version and tweaking it every time, you're going to start to get issues that, that kind of percolate throughout the whole, the whole thing. Um, but there are also times where oh, well, the, the software I'm using came out with an update and now they support color variants. Oh, okay, so should I take the time now in the middle of the project right before this deadline to go back and make sure all of my button styles are using the same color variant so that if I make a change, it goes and applies to everything? Okay, probably not in the middle of the project, but finding a time, knowing when it's an appropriate um, space to kind of set aside and do kind of that more... Uh, construction of how the file is built out and how the components are constructed so that everything can scale and um, work out. If I make changes, it applies to everything. So it's, it's definitely similar. And, and as you guys were talking about that, I was thinking through, you know, there's, there's definitely times and, and, and reasons you, you can't do that. Um, but everyone would agree that if I have a file that's set up with like very flexible and responsive symbols that I can use throughout the whole system, like that's going to make everything go way faster. So it's, it's, it's definitely similar. And I can definitely see like the, the kind of correlations between the technical and the, the user experience, um, roles when it comes to things like refactoring. And can you break it when you refactor on such a thing? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely different, but yeah, like if you do the wrong thing and you, you're trying to make like a button resize based on the, uh, how long the label is and that symbol is already applied elsewhere. Yeah. You can totally do it wrong and break it. And then you don't even realize it for weeks. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's definitely different, but there's enough correlations to where it's like, yeah, I can kind of relate to, to the, uh, the drama that you guys feel with, uh, wanting to fix things and knowing you might break more things than you fix. Yeah, I can see it. But uh, you don't have like tests, like automated tests to see out, uh, like on the spot that something is breaking. It depends. Yeah, usually not to the extent that, you, that uh, the development world has. Um, often it's more like, oh, I noticed this thing broke. You're not, all, you're not really going to get an alert when a component isn't functioning how you thought it would. It's probably functioning how it's supposed to and you just set it up wrong. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. Obviously, I'm uh, the outsider here looking into the technical side of, of refactoring, but I guess I'm just kind of curious, like, what are the things that y'all have learned maybe from 
you know, the first time you had to do a refactor going along to like the most recent kind of refactor work you've done, what are the lessons you've learned or the things you've observed or the mistakes you've made that you wish you would have known for that first refactor? Uh, mistakes. I mean, this is only uh, what a 20, 30 minute episode. So, uh, <laughs> uh, how much time you got? Um, risk mitigation is one important thing uh, for you and for you know the, the user and the client. So we talked about one where it's limiting the scope of the refactoring, right? That way, if things don't work out, then it's not affecting the whole app, uh, right? The whole system. Um, the, the technical spikes we talked about, that's another way of quickly getting some answers before you go all in on the refactoring uh, and see if this is even a feasible approach or not. Um, what these things also enable is parallel development, right? So if you, if, this, if you have a backup plan where the core app or the main functionality is still proceeding uh, forward and you can continue development and you're sort of doing this in a parallel path where when it's ready, you can start integrating and swapping it in. That really reduces the risk that way. If there's you know, time overruns or things just don't work out or performance is not really what you thought it would be, it's not holding up your project and uh, all of a sudden your deadlines are now you know, way out in the future. You can still continue and sort of abort that refactor or keep working on it outside of the timeline uh, pressure. Yeah, even if you have really good tests, sometimes they're only there to signal 200 red dots because your refactor had to break them all. And that the point of the refactor is to you know, break it and then, and then go fix everything, uh, guiding, guided by those tests. And I, maybe this sort of is related, but uh, just kind of on a more personal note, but like a, a kind of a personality, uh, I find that like perfectionists that like don't like to share their code until the PR is just perfect and ready to go, aren't gonna do as well on a refactor because the point of it is that you're breaking things and you need mm. to be open and collaborative. Yeah, talk, talk through some of the collaborative aspect of it. Cause I mean, obviously in this kind of a work you need, you know, you can't be off on your own trying to fix everything and you know, you, there's gonna be stuff you miss, but talk me through like, what is the collaboration side of refactoring look like? Well, there's, there's the setup to it, right? Which is kind of all agreeing on what the plan is and, and who's going to tackle what and how we're going to come back together. It's, you know, it's no different than any other software uh, process, right? It's like, we're going to go write something. It just happens to be something we already wrote last week or something. And, and now we're refactoring it or whatever it is. And having daily standups and status updates is important because if say you're doing the parallel tracks, right? If someone is changing something in the core that's really gonna affect the refactoring you're doing or vice versa, then when it comes time to converge again and uh, integrate, you're gonna have a lot more uh, headache to deal with and conflicts. If the you know, important things on the core side were changed out or there were different assumptions made that are now broken all over again. Yeah, and, and around the planning and, um, and seeing with the team, I think that the Probably the, the, the thing that is different for, for a standard feature development is that if the refactor takes like multiple steps, you need to agree with the team like, hey, this is going to be broken for, I don't know, a week or, or, or a sprint. And you asked about you know, lessons learned. And for me, one of the lessons learned is actually to resist the temptation 
of refactoring. You, uh, a lot of us, you know, approach our work and we want it to look nice and clean, like a work of art, right? And that's why we often want to refactor and just make things clean and performant and, you know, just nice looking overall. And we come in and immediately start thinking that way and I have to change this and I have to change that. But oftentimes you don't really need to in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's, it's good enough. You don't have to make it perfect. Right. And so just being able to resist that temptation and know when you're know yourself to know you're going down this rabbit hole when you probably shouldn't be, you should be spending your time elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll, you know, double that. I mean, to have the self-awareness to like, okay, you've gone too far, go back, you know, like well, as an early junior developer, like you, you have to kind of learn that, you know, it's, it's not something that you instinctively have when you're trying to like figure a problem out. You're so sucked into the problem itself and making things better that you don't, you got to step back and look at things holistically and say, okay, what's, you know, what's the point of actually doing this? Can I, is it necessary? Is it to, to waste all this time or do you spend all this time doing it? Or, uh, you know, or will this work for now? And then we can move on and work on something, something more uh, valuable, you know, instead. Yeah, yeah that for me, this is a constant fight with myself. Uh, the thing that I, I trying to learn, I'm still fighting this, is uh, when, when something is finished. When I'm, I'm working on a task, that, on, on a project for a client, I have like a, a clear deadline that is more or less my estimation so if i'm getting too close to, to the day that I, I i say that i'm going to to um, deliver something i just try to to get things sorted out that's a good point time boxing is a good strategy because yeah. your work will expand to fill the time available and mm -hmm. so if you uh you know limit it then you you are saying at the end of this i will make a decision on whether i continue or not Otherwise, I'll keep going down this path endlessly. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty dangerous. It, it also helps to know sort of what you're building for, right? So if you're building a product, then refactoring has a different meaning than if you're building a quick POC, right? Mm -hmm. The POC doesn't have to be perfect. It's trying to prove a concept. Uh, and so it doesn't have to all be perfect. The important thing is getting the idea across so it can be communicated and seeing if there's interest to move forward to an MVP and a product, right? Uh, and yes, there, are, there is always gonna be a challenge when you give a POC and then immediately people like it. And it's like, okay, let's take, we have the code built, right? Let's take it to production now. At right? this now, at this feature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and we actually talk about that, I think in our very first episode of this podcast, but like there's challenges there and communication needed there, but just being aware of the context in which you're operating and the goals uh, technical and business goals uh, is important and helps you make that decision one way or another as well. Kind of a different side note, but it made me think of, uh, you know, as a team, not being worried about throwing away code either. Like, don't hold on, like, don't be scared about just, okay, we're going to delete this whole thing. Cause I mean, sometimes it holds you back having existing code, whether it's a POC or anything, you know, just it's sometimes faster to just throw everything out, move forward or throw a piece out and move forward. So not so much refactoring, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's good to not be too married to any any one thing that we build in general. You know, I did have a question for the, the panel. Uh, do you folks use any kind of tools for refactoring, like extensions, plugins that aid in the uh, the process? Man, that kind of depends. Uh, 
uh, if it's a really big enterprise style project with lots of, you know, class accessors and stuff like that, sometimes just running said recursively over the thing to rename things or kind of, you know, go down and find out, find some uh, mechanical changes you can do there. And then at least you've got a dirty Git that you can open up and kind of navigate to those and, and, and kind of target what you're looking at it across a giant code base that, you know, it may be in four different modules and that build different DLLs and you just need to find all those points to even start the thing. From the UI side, it's, it's similar to testing in that uh, using tools that uh, simulate different browsers and, uh, you know, uh, devices and aspect ratios and all that responsiveness overall, just to see that is, has your new design broken anything in there or not? I certainly never used that those operations uh, like extract as a property or move parameter to a function. So those automated operations on, on some of my IDs, I never use those. Um, but I, I think my approach on automation on refactoring is, is more like Wesley was, was describing, like find a pattern of changes that I can automate with a complex replace, for example, and, uh, and just apply that and see and expect it to be broken when I, I expect it to be. So I'll, I'll work from there. Probably that's, that's my main tool. And then uh, one thing that we sometimes use, though not too often, is just uh, deploy to production and let the users tell you. <laughs> that's the faster one. <laughs> <laughs> not, not advisable, but great for not getting advice. results. Right. <laughs> It, it really tells you if the, the clients and users are actually using your system and, you know, uh, uh, it's more of a test of uh, if they're engaged or not. You'll learn their tolerance for, uh, for broken yeah, stuff too. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's wrap it up here and uh, we can just kind of round table, quick summary, uh, talking through kind of some of the things we learned and talked about today. Talked about what refactoring is, changing code, or reducing tech debt, making it better um, without necessarily introducing features or value to the user. We talked about uh, pitfalls during refactoring and how to do it well. Yeah, probably try to, to have like a good set of tests, at least a minimum. Um, and if you are planning to refactor something because you, you thought that there is a need, um, just plan around that. Try to, to minimize the changes and uh, and be clear about what what the expected outcome is and try to uh, focus on that instead of going uh, on and on on the refactoring. And understand your context so you get uh, a feel for when it is appropriate and when it isn't. Thanks for connecting with us today. If you have a complex software problem that needs solving, thoughts on what we discussed today, or ideas on what topics we should tackle next, feel free to reach out to us at podcast.experoinc.com or on Twitter at Inc. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you next time.